like you can squish it, you can cut it, you can mix it up, and people blending it into cocktail. We didn't care. We didn't care about it. I think some of the bigger brands they're a little bit more rigid, and their marketing departments, oh, you can't do that to our bar of chocolate, or you can't, you know, you can't represent it like that. And we were just like, let's just go with it. Today on Dirty Linen, we're chatting to food business entrepreneur and mochi lover Vivian Wong. Little Moons is a UK-based company that specialises in mochi ice cream balls. They've just launched in Australia with huge ambitions to make mochi balls part of everyone's life. Vivian grew up around her parents' bakery but pursued a career in finance before food lured her back as it so often does. Great to have you on the show, Vivian. Welcome. Thanks. Thanks for having me. It's great to be in Australia. Yeah, so excited to welcome you to our fair shores. Um, Let's start simple. What are Little Moons? So Little Moons are balls of uh, mochi, which is a soft, sweet dough made from rice flour. So it's a little bit soft in texture and we wrap it around um, Italian gelato ice cream. So they're kind of little golf ball shaped uh, balls of ice cream. And I mean, tell us about some of the different flavours that you do. So we like our our mochis to really deliver on flavor. So I think our best selling one is called Tropical, which is a passion fruit and mango flavor. And it's a vegan ice cream, which um, not many people know. It's not something we publicize because I think people often have the impression that vegan ice cream doesn't deliver on texture and flavor. Um, And so that one is vegan. Another one that we have is the Belgian chocolate and hazelnut, which is also a vegan flavor, but it's super creamy and um, quite indulgent for a, um, a vegan chocolate ice cream and the other one that we have available in um, Woolworths is our pistachio which we've got little bits of um, honey coated pistachios in so they ha- a little bit crunchy and uh, those flavors I'm all I'm, I'm particularly proud of. Yeah, so good. I mean, I'm fully prepared to have mochis in my life, um, but I'd love to dig into the business story. Can you tell us a bit about yourself and, uh, you know, about the journey that's brought you here? So, um, as you touched on in the introduction, um, I grew up working at my parents' bakery. They had a traditional Chinese bakery that made the um, old traditional mochis, which had the red bean inside. Um, And so, we always loved watching how my parents made the you know the mochi they used to craft all these these cakes from scratch and really cared about the ingredients and so when we left university my brother and I who's my co-founder we did go into finance because our parents sort of encouraged us as immigrants to do well at school you know and and, and go out into the big world and of work and that's what we did but um, finance didn't set my heart on fire and I always used to come back and speak to my parents and just see what they were doing and so that's why we decided to um make little ice cream mochi balls because when we traveled to Japan or America, we tried mochi with ice cream and we thought together as a, as a combination of flavors and textures, it worked really well together. And at the same time, this was 12 years ago in 2010, Japanese food was really exploding in the UK. Like every corner had an itsu or, you know, a sushi place. And the desserts were like, I don't know, a green tea muffin or green tea brownie. And we just thought that's, that's not you know, good Japanese dessert. So we thought we would try and make ice cream mochi and see if the restaurants would like to take it on. Um, and that's what we did for the first five years before launching our retail range. Wow, it's it's so great. I mean, it's it's a family story, also a business story. And also, you know, it just sounds like you love food a lot. Uh, I mean, 
how hard was it to, you know, being that good child of immigrants to, you know, doing the right thing? How hard was it for you and your brother to change direction? Um, my parents were actually incredibly, incredibly supportive of it. I think they just didn't want to push us into it. Cause I think if we grew up with our parents saying, you will take over the family business, it was never going to happen. So they let us sort of stretch our wings. And it was a really great time because you learn when you go and work for other people, how to manage other people and how not to manage other people and to see really professional environments of how those businesses are structured. Like there is an HR department, there's an IT system, you know, which we didn't have in my parents' bakery. So we, I think we learned all of that. We absorbed it we brought it back to little moon so as we grew the business we kind of knew how what good looks like and that's what we strove to to emulate Mm, yeah interesting so I mean you've tell us about the scale of the business now because I suppose it, it feels like perhaps if you had been you know groomed for the family business you wouldn't have achieved what you have in a business sense um, so we, uh, so we've been doing this for 12 years. We started in 2010 and, uh, we're nearly 13 now. And we started off really small. We didn't get any financing. We just sort of started small in my parents' bakery and we kind of doubled in size. So maybe like, you know, a hundred thousand turnover first year, then 200,000. And so we slowly grew, but, um, in five years into the business, we decided to launch into um, the grocery stores. I think we were about two million turnover back then. And then we went into some of the major supermarkets in the UK, like Waitrose and um, Tesco's, people who are familiar with those type, those, those businesses. And then two years ago, in uh, during lockdown, we went viral on TikTok. We had like 500 million views on a couple of videos that we had and people were looking for us. And it just caused everyone during lockdown to go to the grocery store on the hunt for little moons because there was nothing better to do it was like the only permissible thing we were allowed to do go to the supermarket to buy food so um it just caused everyone to 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 search for it we sold out everywhere and we're just a little a little factory and you know i think we're at 10 million turnover back then and within a couple of months um our turnover hit 27 million and when you're manufacturing your own goods especially in the middle of lockdown it was so hard to meet that demand because we'd segregated everyone in the factory obviously lowered the production capability um no one could make more machines for us to to lift you know to increase any manufacturing and there was supply chain issues all over the world we didn't have any containers to bring rice rice flour over from asia it was just it was really difficult to grow the business and then i guess in the last year we've just hit 50 million turnover um and so we've grown really quickly over the last two years wow that is amazing and i mean you've you've brought the business to Australia what what other international expansion have you been able to to do I think we're in 28 um, international um, markets now and that's always been our our aim because we're quite an international brand very very early on we went to lots of trade shows around Europe as well um, to sell our products when we were just selling to hospitality um, and then we we've also expanded that in retail as we as we've gone because we've we've had the right distributors in place so international markets has always been part of the plan I mean we love celebrating um, female business owners and success stories on this podcast I know that your brother's the co-founder and you, you run the business together but can you talk about being a woman in business and you know um, striking a path um, and any lessons that you could share it's interesting because when you when you asked me before, um, did my were my parents supportive of me joining the business or starting my own business? My mom particularly was because she started the bakery when I was a kid, and back in the seventies, you didn't have um, the labour laws to protect women 
pregnant women, women with children. And so she said to me when I was growing up, you know, you should always try and choose a career whereby you can combine that with childcare because you're then the captain of your own ship. You don't have anyone judging you when you are working at 10 p.m. and you put the kids to bed and you finally done, all, you know, done everything. Um, and so that was always ingrained into me that, you know, it's, it's quite important to start your own business. It's always been a burning desire of mine. And so I'd encourage so many women to do it because... You, we all work so hard and you don't need someone to, you know, like sometimes you don't need a boss to say, oh, you know, you're not doing the hours, you're not putting the hours in. Because when you're an entrepreneur, you everything that you do, it's just, it's, it's, down, it's just down to that. So all your output is down to your input. And, um, and I think that's quite empowering for women because we all, you know, we, we, we multitask so, so well. We're super resilient. And um, I think it's a really great career path for any woman to choose. Yeah. I mean, that's so interesting. I mean, I'm a, I'm, I don't run a business on the scale of yours, that is for sure. But as a solo freelancer, I do appreciate the freedom to, um, yeah, work, to, to intertwine work and life. But I also sometimes feel jealous of people who are able to take holidays and uh, get superannuation and sick leave and all those kinds of things. Um, I mean, how do you reflect on on that balance? That I mean, that is true. But I guess what was what was, I guess more, um, I guess meaningful for me is if you if you had if you had the time and you had the what's the like, I don't know your 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 own um, ability to choose where you focus and prioritize your life is sometimes. I guess that's a trade-off. Like if you don't want to ask permission to leave early to go see your kid at a, at a school play, it's just nice that you're able to do that. Um, and I think that often, and I know the people that work for me, they do take holiday, but they are also watching their emails all the time. And I used to work really hard when I was in finance and I maybe didn't check my emails as, as much during work, but you are, it, it is always on your mind. So you might as well benefit from all of your work during holidays as well and have that recognised. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, if you're putting in the hours anyway, it might as well be. Um, yeah, coming back to you, the success might as well be your success in the end. Um, so, I mean, what advice do you have for women who might be thinking about starting their own business? I think that it's definitely confidence that um, inhibits people, for, well, women in particular, from starting their own businesses. So, I would definitely say find find that confidence really believe in yourself and I think there's like been so many reports where you know men if they have like two out of ten of the job description and women have eight they still doubt them the, the women still doubt themselves so I would encourage people to have belief in their ideas to know the worth of their ideas because I, I meet a lot of early stage female entrepreneurs and they they give away so much percentage of of equity early early doors just because they don't value their idea or their their business plan enough and that's I guess the sort of advice I'd encourage women to have confidence and belief and um, understand the worth of their business ideas early doors yeah I love that I mean you spent a lot of time developing the product early on as I understand I mean do you how do you sort of like I get the idea of confidence but if you've got to be able to to have confidence in your product, you've got to really be able to stand behind it, don't you? Yeah, um, we just just to really know your your subject. That that's the only way I find confidence in it. I, I know exactly how to make my product. We we developed it over two years, and if I don't have confidence in any part of my, um, I guess any part of running a business, I. I, w I would just work on it. So I guess as, as our business grew really quickly for me, for example, I struggled with 
like the management of my senior leadership team as they grew in size and as they grew in caliber. And so I just recognized that and thought, you know, I'm just going to get myself an executive coach just to teach me a few skills, tips and tricks. And it, I found it super helpful. And it just meant I, walk, I went into work feeling that little bit more confident on how to manage all the change that was happening at work. And so I think a lot of, you know, time to self-reflect and to develop yourself also gives you confidence and you know to identify the areas which you're less confident on and just work on those sides because you you know there's bits that you're really good at and no one can do it better than you like you know those skills so just focus on the bits you don't I mean Vivian you mentioned early on you know you targeted some of those Japanese restaurants with their uh, matcha muffins you thought you could do better can you talk about some of those early outreaches to chefs and restaurateurs how nerve-wracking was that and, and how did you you know make your first sales well, it was a, it's a, interesting. I went into um, a distributor to restaurants and I spoke to the team there and they said to me, look, we're not going to list you. You're not going to be around in six months. You know, you're just brand new business. We're not going to waste our time. So I had to go around the other way and I went and I literally just walked the streets and I went into restaurants and asked to meet their head chefs. And um, I also did a restaurant show, um, which is an exhibition that we had in London where all the chefs come to see what new products and, and things we have. Um, so I met a lot of them through there. So so I, I guess that that's the best way of doing it because they're open to meeting you and trying new things rather than going into their kitchen. They're saying, what's this, what's this girl doing down here? Um, and so just I think chefs in general are so much more open to trying new things. They, they understand the quality of the product. And so that's why we started with the restaurants first, because if we launched into the grocery stores, no one's going to take a risk to take a box of product that, they're on, that they don't know off the shelf. Whereas when people go out to restaurants that the chefs have put, you know, put these products on their menu, people are willing to try something new. That's what they're there for. They're there to be entertained. And so that's why we, we, we approached the chefs first. And I, and I found all the chefs were really open to it. My husband's a chef. Um, he he specialises in Japanese food as well. He's Australian too. Um, and so I met him through that that process of meeting chefs and sort of like, trying to expand the market that way. Right, yeah, plenty of Australian chefs in London, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, I also imagine pounding the pavement with frozen desserts might have its challenges. I mean, I know it's minus one in London as we speak, but um, it's not always below freezing. That must have been an interesting part of your – an interesting challenge as well. Yep, Uh 12-year career and keeping ice cream frozen, I ha- used to have a little portable freezer I used to have in the back of my car and you sort of plug it into your, um, you know, the sort of cigarette lighter plug type thing and um, basically just rush to get it to the chef before it melted. I've actually bought some over from London. So I've been driving around like the Brisbane area trying to find frozen ice, like dry ice to keep it frozen. So this trip <laughs> has also been very much about keeping ice cream frozen. That's so funny. It just, yeah. I mean, it, I think that's such a great part of a business story, those little details and challenges. Very, very cool. Um, Vivian, you mentioned these TikToks that went viral. I'd love you to talk a bit about the marketing of your products. Like, is that a specialty of yours? Have you brought people in to help with that? You know, how, how do you approach um, getting the brand out there? So I think we were, we always wanted our brand to look joyful, colourful, and I think it lends the product itself lends itself to being marketed on social media really well because it's such a pretty product to to, um, to photograph and you can do it in lots of fun ways. And I think it was just an, also a product that people wanted to share, and particularly with social media, everyone likes sharing beautiful pictures of whatever they're eating, and that's how I think we started with it. Um, and what was lucky for us is that people like like Mavens love 
talking about new things they've tried. And so with the with with social media, I think when you see a fr- your friend eating it, you also want to try it. And then also it's so international because, you know, social media is, 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 is cross borders now. So whatever your friend's eating in Japan, you see it. And so if you see it in your country, you're like, oh, I'm going to try it. And it's just it just opens up the world. And I think that's something that's really benefited um, Little Moons. And we have brought in a team to do it because I think when we first tried to do it, my brother and I, our Instagram page wasn't quite as beautiful in uniform. And so we did bring on experts to help us as we grew. Um, and that's, I guess that's how we, 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 we did that. And then with TikTok, though, um, it wasn't, that was someone else, like a random person posting a, a video of them going into a Tesco's to look for Little Moons that had, that didn't really have anything to do with us. Um, and that's, I guess, the beauty of people sharing content and, and people picking up on it. And we've, we've really benefited from that. Yeah, interesting. Do you have any advice for people who are launching products or brands and, you know, obviously everyone's looking for those viral shares? Like, I mean, what what could people you don't want to you don't want to create brands for social, but you do want to be, you know, have that engagement. Like what tips do you have for people? So many people have asked me, how do you go viral on TikTok? (laughs) (laughs) What's the recipe, please, Vivian? Can you share that with us right now? (laughs) Here is the formula. Get a pen and pencil. No, I um, honestly, we were so lucky with that. And I think what what the only smart thing that we could do with that was to make sure that we pivoted the marketing so that it was the Gen Zs that were seeing all of this going on TikTok, but they weren't our target audience. And so we wanted our target audience to be able to see how popular that it was. So our marketing team then shared the story of us going viral with the broader press, um, you know, the broadsheet newspapers and um, magazines and, and, and places where our um, our target audience would read and see the story. And so I think it's just making sure that you cover off and you're making sure that your media strategy will be seen by the, the people that are going to buy your products to begin with. And I guess you just have to stay fluid with it. Like the reason why we did well on, on TikTok is because our brand – we didn't mind sort of taking the piss out of it. Like you can squish it, you can cut it, you can mix it up and people are blending it into cocktail. We didn't care. We didn't care about it. I think some of the bigger brands, they're a little bit more rigid and their marketing department's like, oh, you can't do that to our bar of chocolate or you can't, you know, you can't represent it like that. And we were just like, let's just go with it. Um, and also be open to, well, we were, so I guess the reason why we also did well on TikTok was that we as a brand were on TikTok pretty early, pretty early on because we had, um, we brought on a, a young intern, um, a Gen Z, and she said, oh, you know, can we join TikTok? I'd never heard of it. And I think something else she wanted, we said, just go for it, knock yourself out. And I think being a brand and a company that's just open to new things as well, we just said, go for it. So when we did go viral on TikTok, we had a very solid um, presence on there as well. Whereas I think a lot of brands w- didn't didn't bother going onto TikTok first. And so we embrace all of these different um, new social media techniques and videos. And also when we did start going viral on TikTok, I sort of said, um, Charlie, who was our intern, I think maybe you should um, put a video out to say thank you, to say, oh, thank you for, um, thank you for all your support. And obviously that would have been the most generic, boring video. And the way that she put her thank you video was a picture of someone with a mochi face with a mouth and eyes, super weird, with a celebrity's voice, because you can do those voiceovers, just saying, hi, thank And it was called Cheryl Cole. I don't know if everyone knows her, but she was talking about how when she became famous and she couldn't leave the house because everyone was following her and all of this. And I just thought that this is why you employ 
fun people who get this because it, they're so much better at it than you. And it, you know, it's just, it's just that creativity that you've got to bring into your business. And like I said, know your strengths, know your weaknesses and just bring people on to cover the, cover it off. I love that. That is, yeah, really, I'm definitely going to go and look for that TikTok. That sounds, that sounds really good. So who is your target audience then, Vivian? When we started, I think it was, um, Old, like I guess older people, maybe in their third, between their late twenties to forties, who were, um, you know, um, had the money to to indulge in indulgent desserts, who were probably quite well travelled to understand what mochi was, who had an interest in food and understanding, you know, indulgent quality foods, and that was the target audience that we had. And inevi- in, inevitably, they were going to be um, female, and so that was who we started targeting. Um, but then, you know, now we've, 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 um, introduced a much younger audience to, to Mochi because I think they're just open to new things. They're not sort of set in their ways and ice cream is just a tub. They're, they're happy to try new flavors and new textures and, um, and different ways of eating. So Little Moons is very snacky. And so you can just take one ball out the freezer, leave it for five minutes. And, and that's how I eat as well. Like I just want something super indulgent at the end of dinner you know, 80 calories or something and know that I'm done and I'm not going to over scoop out of a pot. And, you know, I just save that, that little ball of mochi and, and then I'm done with it. Um, and I think a lot of, a lot of people like eating like that now. Yeah, that's yeah, absolutely. Uh, now I can't help, but take us back to that throwaway comment where you said you can put them in cocktails. I need to know more. (laughs) We've had, I think a lot of, um, a lot of restaurants have paired it with cocktails, especially the um, the tropical passion fruit and mango. I think that goes really well with, is it porn style martini? Um, I'll take your word for it. Yeah. And if you go onto our social media page, I think we've just done something with um, an East London liquor company and they've just made some beautiful cocktails and, and, and paired them with our, our mochi flavours. Um, so have a look there. But that wasn't the first time. It's, so it's happened a few times. And um, I think people blend them into milkshakes as well, or they put them into their sort of acai bowls or... Um, just put them on top of pancakes. It's just, it's really great to see how people are using our ice creams. It must be fun to yeah create something and just watch people run with it. It must be very satisfying. Yeah. And it just some people like dip it in batter and deep fry them. I mean, I, it, it's incredible to see. You will love that. Um, so Vivian, tell us about your plans and ambitions for the rest of 2023 and beyond. I think that we are going to continue our international expansion. I think we have a listing into New Zealand coming up soon. Um, And we have seven new flavours launching into Australia shortly, which is really exciting. Um, And I I guess from a business side, a, a business point of view, because we grew so quickly in the last two years, what we're busy focusing on is continuing to grow and develop our systems and um, culture within the business because I think when you bring on a lot of people into a business very quickly the culture can get slightly diluted so we're going back to um, making sure that our family culture and values are all shared amongst everyone that works for us. Mm. What is a core value at Little Moons? Um, respect is one of them, which sounds like a hygiene factor, but we respect ourselves, which means, you know, sometimes saying no to work, respecting our part, uh, you know, our, um, our, our team members, the environment and our community. Um, we talk about um, bringing joy in everything that we do. So um, in all of our products and all of our interactions, or if we do any sort of presentations, they just have to be um, joyful um, and also um, being commercial. And our last one is um, reaching for the moon. 
<laughs> Love it. That's great. Uh, can't think of a better note to finish on. Vivian, thank you so much for spending time with us today. I'm sure your story is going to be really inspiring to the Daddy Linen crowd. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you.